0: Peter received the keys to the kingdom based upon his revelation of who Jesus is. Can a Trinitarian receive the Holy Ghost without that same revelation? Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast from the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas, with our pastor and Bible teacher, Bishop Gregory Riggin.
1: As you're talking, I, the way I try to understand things is I try to map what you're saying and what I'm hearing and understanding to patterns. And the pattern that I'm seeing is the only prerequisite to salvation is faith. Obviously, we have to correlate faith with truth, but I think that principle still applies. The same thing that it took for us to be saved, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you truly believe, if you truly have faith, then that will generate a diligence inside of you to continue to seek God in deeper way. And so, you were talking about it in terms of hunger, and you were talking about it using other terms. And I and I was just trying to understand it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm trying to understand: is that generator that thing behind the scenes? an individual once you lose faith you really lose it you don't have much hope right. but if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed you can move mountains you know i i know i'm pulling all this together but what i'm trying to understand is what i'm saying true is faith the promoter of salvation the promoter of a deeper relationship with god to fulfill that hunger is it the thing that generates the hunger is, is it faith
2: absolutely absolutely faith is the beginning point there's no question Faith is the beginning point. And this is where many people misconstrue passages such as what we find in Acts 16, where Paul tells the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right. They think that's it. That's the end. That's all he was saying. That's not the end. That's the beginning point. That's where it starts. Remember that Paul was the first missionary to macedonia philippi there had not been anybody there to preach jesus christ and so what good is it going to do for paul to say repent be baptized in jesus name receive the holy ghost and this men say Wh- whose name what yeah. what were you talking about right. what- there's got to first of all be a faith a belief And that's what he's saying to this jailer. Not that this is the moment you'll be saved. In fact, if you really look at that, when he says thou shalt be saved, the word "shalt" is future tense. It's not a matter of right now you are saved, but if you'll believe, then salvation is coming your way. It will happen. And that's where after that, Paul began to preach the word of God unto him and the man took him the same hour of the night and was baptized. So it all began with faith and it always will begin with faith. And faith is indeed what keeps us seeking after God. Remember what it was that Jesus told Simon Peter. Jesus said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. What? Not that you'll be able to withstand temptation. He said, my prayer for you is this, that your faith fail not. Because if your faith doesn't fail. See, Jesus knew all things. As God, he declared the end from the beginning. He knew Peter was going to fall prey to the temptation to deny the Lord. He knew that. He knew that was going to happen. But what Jesus was praying was, in the midst of that failure, Peter, I don't want you to lose faith. I want you to believe that I can still restore you, that I can still pick you up. Judas sold the Lord and hung himself. Why would he hang himself? Because he had no faith that there was any hope for him going forward. When he realized what had happened, I'm convinced that Judas never really thought Jesus would die. I don't think that he sold the Lord believing that it was going to lead to his crucifixion. I I, I believe that Judas sold the Lord thinking he's going to make a quick buck. And Jesus is going to do what he's always done. He's going to disappear out of their midst. But I kept my end of the deal. I got a few dollars in my pocket and all is well.
1: Well, really what he's doing is he's acting on what he believes. Yes. He's acting on his limited version of faith. Everybody else believes Jesus has come to die. Judas is saying, nope, he's not going to die. I'm going to sell him, you know, whatever. Well, they didn't believe he had come to die
2: either. You know, that was one thing they struggled with, but... But other than that, yeah, you're right. Judas, <laughs> Judas did not believe that he, and I say that because, you know, Peter was, saying, Lord, this will never happen. I, right. You know, I'm going to see to it. And that's when Jesus turned around and called Peter Satan was because Peter said he was going to keep Jesus from dying. And it's been said before, but anything that keeps you from Calvary is your enemy and he called judas friend judas issued him into the moment of calvary peter tried to stop it and was called satan so none of them really believed it judas didn't believe it now the bible does say that the devil entered into judas so there was there was obviously a moment there of demonic possession where the devil's controlling judas's thoughts But I don't believe that Judas set any of this up thinking in his mind. I don't think the devil even told Judas, oh, we're going to destroy the Lord. Uh, I think the devil was telling Judas, you're doing the right thing. Everything's going to be all right. He's going to escape. It's all going to be well. And the minute that he saw that Jesus was really taken, remember, they would tried this before. There had been other times they tried to take him, and he passed through their midst, and they were not able to do it. Judas had witnessed that. Right. So he just believed Jesus is going to outsmart him again, and I'll be richer, and all will be well. And then when he saw that the Lord was actually going to the cross, he lost faith. And And who knows, that loss of faith may have been more than just faith that Jesus could restore him. He may have lost faith that Jesus was the Messiah, Because he may not have believed, you know, that could have been like the straw that broke the camel's back in Judas's mind because none of them expected Jesus to die. It was a devastating thing to them. In spite of how many times he'd said it, it never really got into their understanding the topic of this whole podcast. It never got into their understanding what really was going on with his death, burial, and resurrection. And so to Judas, when he saw this man died, that may have been the moment his own faith died, that evidently Jesus really wasn't the Messiah, and, and there's no hope for me. And the one man that really loved me and the one man that was always patient with me, and even in the moment of my betrayal would call me friend, right. that man, I have sold him, and I'm the reason he's dying. And Judas's faith failed. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never turned to Judas and said that, but he did say it to Peter that I'm praying, Peter, that your faith fail not.
0: So faith is
2: the key. It is it is that seed from which everything else grows. And He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And then that faith has got to grow beyond just that he is, and you've got to believe that he's a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. And isn't that really part of what we've been discussing? Our real understanding of God is going to come as we diligently seek him. And so we've got to believe that as we seek him, as we search the scriptures, he's going to help us to understand more and more about him. And more about us. And more about us. (laughs) That's exactly right.
1: May I prolong this conversation a little bit further? Uh, James 2 and 14 What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Basically, I think what James is saying here is if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, is that enough to save him? Absolutely not. I think it's a rhetorical question. And he goes on in later scriptures to talk about faith being alone without works being alone is dead. So... I understand faith is the seed. It's the propagator of all this hunger and the diligence in seeking God. But at some point, that faith has to become something more than just a confession, something more than just an intellectual assent to some idea. But you have to begin to act on what you believe.
2: Yes. Look at it this way. Seed is a good analogy. Because you can have a packet of seeds. That's good. And they don't do anything until there's some effort put in. That seed's got to be planted. That seed's got to be watered. It's got to be cared for. There's a process of germination that has to take place. Once the plant starts to develop, you still don't just walk away. There's work to bring the seed to fruition. And so faith yes, is the seed. But the problem is, many people leave it in the packet. That's where the profession of faith comes in. Mm -hmm. That seed's done nothing. You know, I read an article some years ago, uh, archaeologists found in one of the tombs over in Egypt, baskets filled with seeds. And they were curious as to what would happen to these seeds. And they took these seeds, which were thousands of years old, multiple thousands of years old, took them and planted them, gave them the proper care, and they produced. Mm -hmm. They'd been sitting in those tombs for thousands of years and didn't do one thing. And that's why some people think that Paul and James contradict one another because Paul writes to the Galatians and to the Romans and he talks about, you know, how we can't be saved through our works. And that's exactly right. But it's like saying, I want an apple. Well, you can go buy an apple, but that's not the same as having an apple tree the seed has to be planted. The seed's got to be worked with. There's something that's got to be done. And so, no, we're not saved by our works. But the fact is, if it's real faith, it's going to motivate us to do something. It's not going to stop with our mouth. Listen, what did Jesus condemn about the Pharisees. What did God condemn about the Jews for centuries? Was it not that with your mouths, you say you love me, but your heart is far from me? What is the difference in that and the majority of Christianity today? Right. With their mouth, they say, I love Jesus, but their heart is far from him. The Bible says that they profess that they know him, but in works they deny him. Now, that's an interesting statement to make. They profess that they know him, but in works they deny him. So Titus says this, Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God. But in works, they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Does that not sound like a lot of so-called Christianity today? They profess, they make a profession of faith, but you can't tell it in the way they live. The things they do, they commit abominations and all the while they say, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. I had a man tell me one time, said, I've, I've accepted Christ. He said, I don't care if I walk off this job, go get drunk, go commit adultery with another man's wife, and have a car wreck on the way home. I'm going to heaven. That's Titus one sixteen. They profess that they know God, but in work they deny him. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, keep my commandments. So real faith is not what you think in your mind or what you say with your mouth. Real faith motivates you to action and it's going to affect what you do. It is the seed whereby Salvation can come, but it's not salvation in itself. Saying it's salvation, saying faith is salvation is like saying this seed from an apple tree is an apple tree. It's not. It's a long way from it.
0: So you really challenge the belief of modern-day Christianity when they say, I just have to confess, the Romans... Chapter 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. They stop right there. They stop. I believe, thus my salvation is secure. And you just really challenged everything that we just talked about, turns that on its head and said, yeah, that was just the first, if we could just go back to that very first part of our conversation, the first step. You believed, you had faith in, in that he's here and he's risen from the dead, but they stopped short.
2: Yeah, it's really even more than that in the book of Romans, because I'm really going to challenge something now. <laughs> so challenge away! I'm putting myself really in the hot seat at this point. Let's rightly divide the Scripture. Let's understand that beginning with the book of Romans through the book of Revelation, nothing there is written. Intended to be read by sinners. It was written to people already saved. So, whether it's Romans 10 or one I hear, and I think we talked about this in our last podcast on Bible interpretation, Revelation chapter 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. These things were not written to sinners. It's not telling a sinner how to be saved. These things are written to people who are already saved. And you know that when you go to the book of Romans, I don't have to say this as my opinion. You go to the book of Romans and you start reading. And he tells us in verse seven, Romans chapter one, verse seven, to whom he's writing. He's writing to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. He's writing to the saints that are in Rome, not to sinners. So with that in mind, here's where I really start challenging some things. With that in mind, when we go over to Romans chapter 10, and he says that with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, verse 9, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He's not saying that everyone who makes a confession is saved. He's talking to saints. And remember, salvation is a process. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. He's writing to saints. I contend that much of what he's actually saying here is that we as saints, part of what's going to save us is us making confession as to who he is and what it takes. What did the book of Revelation say that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and something else there? Let's see. What was that? Uh, the word of their testimony Um we, we really need to stop and think about outreach and winning souls and how important that is to us. You know, we like to pull things out of the Old Testament. We like to look at types and shadows. Let's think about something. The Bible was very clear that if a man was unable to reproduce, he was not allowed to serve in the tabernacle of God. If he couldn't reproduce, any woman that could not reproduce was considered cursed of God. Spiritual reproduction is still very important in the kingdom. It is absolutely necessary that we make it a practice to make confession. Jesus said, whoever will confess me down here, I'll confess him. But whoever denies me here, I'm going to deny him. There is something to be said here about the importance and the necessity of us, now that we're saved, making confession. But even then, he goes on in this. When they start taking this as the plan of salvation, they are pulling verses totally out of their context. So, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I've done an entire Bible study on what calling on the name of the Lord means, and. You can't call on the name of the Lord without repentance. You can't call on the name of the Lord without baptism in Jesus' name. You can't call on the name of the Lord without receiving the Holy Ghost. You can't call on the name of the Lord without speaking in tongues. I prove all that in that Bible study. Don't have time to go into that in this podcast. But all of that's a part of calling on the name of the Lord. But Then he goes on to say, how shall they call? on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? So again, he comes right back to, while there are those who would disagree with me on what this confession's all about, what does he come right back to except the declaration of this message of salvation? And he comes on down in verse 17, so then faith cometh by Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the beginning point, but it doesn't end at faith.
1: I think we can take the same principle that we're talking about in terms of salvation and apply it to Christians that call themselves apostolic. And if you want to go further, if, you, if there is a hunger in your heart for more of God, for an apostolic revival— we, we hearken back to the days of Azusa Street or even the church in the book of Acts. If you want to experience that, it's not enough just to confess that you want to experience that. But at some level, you're going to have to convert that faith to some works and get down to business. And that's what will generate that kind of experience.
2: Absolutely. It's always got to go beyond just mental ascent. And that's what as a pastor I, I've got a huge responsibility on my shoulders to convey to the people we want to have apostolic revival. It's not enough for you to shout amen when I say it. Right. You've got to do something about it. Right. You need to be out there working towards it. Faith without works is dead. We can come in here and pray. You know, and I've said this so many times, but Jesus never once asked us to pray for a revival. He never asked us to pray for an outpouring of his spirit. He never asked us to pray that God would give us souls. What he did ask us to pray for is that God would send laborers. Because the harvest is plenteous. They're out there. Hungry people are out there. The harvest is plenteous. The problem is not the harvest. We don't have to pray for a harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest. We don't have to ask him to give us souls. We have to ask him to give us laborers. And really beyond that, we've got to have that attitude that says, here am I, Lord. Send me. Let me get out there in your vineyard. Let me get out there in your field. Let me reap the harvest that you've already declared is ripe and ready. It's there. We just have to find them.
0: Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathtetruth.com. That's prayer at olathtetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olatethetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.